Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on September the 6th, 2012. For newcomers, I always suggest you go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and help yourself to the audios for free download. There's well over a thousand and I show you the system you're born into, give you a lot of the names of the big wigs who started up this world organization a long time ago. Openly, that is. They existed long before, obviously, and, and under covert, uh, covert means and names and so on, associations. But they came out publicly and published their views and their opinions and their plan, in fact, for a world type governments, but not just any type of governments. They believed in eugenics, they believed in the class system, they believed in fear types and superior types. And the the fact was, you see, all those guys were very, very rich at the time. Some of them even owned a good chunk of the world, like the Rothschilds, uh, that merged with the Milner Group after the Cecil Rose Foundation and formed the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And they thought they could run the world better and plan it better to suit themselves and all their corporations that they owned as well and bring down the population gradually after a post-industrial era. That's what we're in now today, of course. And they have their world meetings yet on depopulation at the United Nations in the department. They have a department of population. It used to be population reduction, but now it's called Department of Population. So we're living through really nasty times. Uh, all the cancers are, are up, of course, skyrocketing. Uh, lots of other kinds of disease, autoimmune problems are skyrocketing too, and allergies. And at the same time, they give you more inoculations to help you. And of course, these are the problems that actually cause all the problems in the first place, all these inoculations, vaccines, well documented, but they don't want to change, of course, because it's working. It's dumbing folk down, it's killing folk off earlier, and it's making people wide open to any kind of simple infection that their bodies should be able to clear up but cannot do it anymore. It's quite simple, really. It's all based on trust. And you must get a domesticated herd to trust the shepherd, the good shepherd. And they've done a good job on that for a long, long time. So help yourself to the audios. Remember, too, that you are the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers as guests that scare the hell out of you and give you the solution in the last five minutes. Uh, for, a, for a fee, of course. And I don't uh, have shares in any companies or, or, or products that are being sold. All I do is sell the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and you can help me out by purchasing them or donating it's up to yourselves and from the US to Canada remember you can use personal checks or international postal money orders uh, from your, your post office you can also use uh, cash send cash or use PayPal across the world you've got Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal remember straight donations are really really welcome because I, I don't push any if you want to make money in this, this, this line here, you've got to get mass advertising. Mass advertising, that's what pays. And, and you don't need to rely even on making videos. In fact, every video you put out then is just a, a, simply a PR thing and an ad for you. Because you're making money off advertising. 
So it's up to you, as I say. And what I do is I don't take sides with left and wing and right wing. I think it's all nonsense, personally. And, of course, the dialectic proves that. If you go into the sciences of the dialectic process, uh, the big wigs picked this a long time ago, and they said people will always take one party or another, and we'll give them a thing called democracy. And democracy, you don't uh, vote in a new party because you like them. You, you simply vote in the other party because you're sick of the last party, and that's how it works. That's why they don't have revolutions every every five years or so. Because the, you, you get suckered by every party who comes in, and you get sick of them, then you try the other side once again. Back and forth like a tennis match forever and ever, and folk never catch on. They never catch on. Because there's only one agenda in the world, and it's been there for an awful long time. Awful long time. Generations have lived through this agenda and never known it. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I am back, cutting through the matrix. Now I've talked about reality so many times and what is reality. Reality for most folk is waking up every day and sharing their opinions which have been given to them by the previous night's news uh, with their friends and bouncing off their ideas to their friends and, and their friends bouncing back again. And if you all agree, because you've all been given the same indoctrination, you've actually all been given the same education as well, uh, which prepares you for subsequent uh, propaganda. I've gone through that with Jack Salal before. He says education is primary, uh, a primary necessity for subsequent propaganda to take effect. So you bounce off the ideas with your friends, and because all comes back the same as you, you say, well, I, I must be sane. And that's as far as you think. You never think at all or even suspect to think further beyond what you already are thinking. And there might be something more to this reality than meets the eye. And, of course, that's the way that government really runs. Uh, for an awful, I mean, really for centuries, going right back to even Francis Bacon's day. Francis Bacon, Francis Bacon wrote a, a bunch, almost a resume for the king, you might say, uh, and presented it to king. The king and uh, he said this best that government uh, never really discloses its true intentions on anything, anything to the general people, the public. And, um, and that is true. It's never changed. It's, it's really a priori up there in government. That's the way it will always be. And you can take it at that to the bank if there's any worth, one worth saving. But the fact is, you're not given any truth on anything. That's why every government has, has huge marketing departments of public relations people who've all worked in the biggest marketing departments in New York and elsewhere in the world. And that way they can spin a truth and give you maybe a partial truth, you see. Remember, a partial truth is simply a lie because it omits all the rest of the story which would give you a different opinion or conclusion to what you're going to get with the partial truth. And and they're very very commonly true. They simply straight out lie to you, and the public will believe it because the bigger the lie, that the, the, the more the person, the individual says, well, no one could say such a big lie. They'd blush or something because they say, well, I couldn't do that. You know, most folk will say, well, I can see a little lie and understand that. But you, you cannot understand someone giving a really whopper, a big lie, like, like blaming some other country that you want to invade and, uh, and, and telling some awful stuff about them that isn't true. So it must be true. I mean, who wants to tell such a big, big lie? And that's how simple it is to put out propaganda. 
to the public. Plus, when you've been trained in this oligarchic system where you're down at the bottom, you believe all the more readily because you're taught and trained, and, and most folk haven't thought, that, thought it through. You just take it through osmosis, as I say, uh, that um, these people are somehow better or smarter than you are. You really do believe that, whether you like to admit it or not. You believe that. And, the, and you do that because of, number one, their status in, in the system. And you take it by their, their income must be massive compared to yours. So that proves, their income actually proves that they're smarter than you. That's what you think, you see. And it's very, very simple to get lots of people at the top there to put on this pretense to the general population. And therefore, they never question it at all. Most folk truly never question it. And uh, there's countless millions watch the news every day, uh, religiously at six o'clock, and believe everything that they're told. Because why, why on earth would your government lie to you? That's really how simplistic they are. Because they're domesticated. They believe and trust their government so implicitly. It would never occur to them that these organizations, as I said, came out in the 1800s openly, to take over the world's resources, like Cecil Rhodes, uh, who was in business with Lord Rothschilds when they started up their society to cause wars across the world. And by starting the wars, with using mercenaries like they did with the Boer War, and then going to Britain and saying, oh, the Boers have attacked us. And then in come the British troops, paid for by the British taxpayers, and then Rhodes and others grabbed all the gold and silver and diamonds in, in South Africa. And that's all documented in the Council on Foreign Relations on records because that's the outshoot of that because the Cecil Rhodes Foundation merged with the Alfred Milner Group, international uh, moneylenders, and formed the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And they came up with this idea they would take over all of the world's resources. That includes water, by the way. Water, food, everything that you need to live on. Because they sat a long time ago, a hundred years ago, and said, how do you make a person's life? And what gives them freedom? And so they had to narrow all the choices that you have to be independent and eventually make you interdependent. When you're interdependent, that means you're not independent. You're dependent on the, their system. That's what it means. Interdependence. For everything you need for survival. And then they had the great idea too, and they've used this for an awful long time. You saw it, even had it in the Soviet Union. Because it's the same boys, you see, that ran London, that ran the Soviet Union. For the whole length of his career. And in the Soviet Union, they had factories in different sort of provinces in Russia uh, competing with each other for the best workers. They would work for pretty well nothing. You know, for the cause and all that nonsense. And we, we have the same thing based on our, our ideology too in the West. We have to compete with all these other countries supposedly. And wages and produce and prices. Competition, competition. So we're like a child, like school children at a race, when a beanbag race, you all, you all are taught to go and get that beanbag. Only one can grab it, but the rest you have to all try. You see? And that's what they do with countries, they have them all competing against each other. The same bankers, by the way, that own the private central banks, because this is one cabal of bankers across the planet. Have you all competing with each other and then blaming you uh, when you can't make it, they know you're not going to make it. But no one will admit this. 
No government will admit this because, you see, the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute for International Affairs, have put in your prime ministers and presidents across the world for a hundred years. Or actually more than a hundred years. That's what Professor Carl Quigley said, the historian for the group. He says, he says there hasn't been a president or prime minister for since the late 1800s that we haven't put in. Doesn't matter about the rest of them below. It's the guys at the top you got to put in. Very easy to control, control, manage. And that's why when one group goes out, you say, my God, the same system's carrying on. The same agenda. More wars, more plundering countries, more taxpayers funding and, uh, and bailing out banks. As they get richer and richer and richer, we're bailing out banks. As they go across the world plundering for oil fields and everything else they can get their hands on, we pay for it all. And people think this is normal. They really think it's normal. Because most of them are mentally ill. You understand, if, you, if you're not aware of what's happening, you're technically mentally ill. You're not in reality. You're not in reality. Think about it. Now here's an article here, it's an example for instance. It says Spain value added tax. Now all the countries in the world under this globalization process have to get value added tax on the go. And Canada, uh, we voted it down so they, they put it in and called it uh, HST. It's the same thing as value added tax. And what happens is if you get a little bit of iron ore for instance, and you smelt that to get the iron out of it, then and you sell it to the guys who make uh, make something from the iron. Well, you have to pay uh, maybe up to fifteen percent or more, depends on the, how much they decide of value-added tax for every step of the process until you have the final product. So each time it changes hands, you've got value-added tax, value-added tax. By the time it's finished, the government's just rolling in cash on everything, and Britain they have it on your food and everything now, and. Um, and the big bankers came up with this idea of value-added tax, you see. And governments never have enough. To, I don't care how much you give them. It will never be enough for their big projects and paychecks. But so Spain's value-added hike is the largest in history. It says, stunning ineptitude that will make history books. So the fiscal deficits continue to mount in Spain in spite of austerity measures. That's poverty measures, you know, cutting back and don't eat and everything. And tax hikes. So, so that's a great idea is to, is to increase the tax hikes when folk can't afford to eat. Yeah? I mean, you understand this is nonsensical. So Spain desperately needs to work reforms, but on that score there's been little progress. Instead the government keeps hiking taxes to combat ballooning deficits. Well, of course you've got ballooning deficits because they've been borrowing and borrowing by order of the EU Parliament this new Soviet parliament that runs on behalf of the bankers, set up by the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the EU. And, and so they've got to keep borrowing, borrowing money from other countries to bail themselves out. And they're getting charged massively high interest rates because of the bad, the bad shape they're in. You can't get out from under it. They all know this. They all know this. And now they're selling off islands and everything for these swine. The big bankers that are the bosses of the EU, you see. So as the government keeps hiking taxes to combat blooming deficits, to see further declining revenues in which the government hikes taxes again and again in an absurd attempt to make up for those shortfalls. So you can't keep borrowing money, plus with this massive interest rates, 
and keep taxing you pay it back when there's no work in the first place. You see. They know what they're doing, though, big boys. And it's, uh, and this is from a, a Google translator, so it's not the best English. Anyway, it says, each Spanish, uh, Spanish person pays an average of 20.8% value added tax. That's pretty well on everything. 369 uh, per year, six days of extra work to comply with the Treasury. The value added tax increase which took effect on Saturday, raising the general rate from 18% to 21% taxes. That's just on every purchase that you make. Reduced from 8 to 10%, while the super reduced duty on staples, staple foods and so on remains 4%. In addition, hundreds of products previously taxed at 4% as school supplies and 8%, such as film, film and hairdressers, pass it on to 21%. So it's gone up nearly three times, multiplying its previous taxations. They're really screwing these people. And we all sit back think it's normal. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back coming through the matrix and talking about the farce of the system and how actually what's happening in Spain is simply part of the plan. Do you understand how much money all the governments in Euro, in Europe, in the European Union, every country, have had to borrow from the private banksters that own the central banks that are running the whole show? I mean, that they borrowed more billion, actually over a trillion bucks to throw into these holes in Greece and Spain. Drives if the countries that were functioning okay, that it would have taken maybe another hundred years for the banks to have made this much money out of all the countries that borrowed from them. So they, they create this crisis and they exploit it to the hilt and they keep it going in a circle. And, and every country keeps borrowing money. Even the states and Canada's put money into this. And, and uh, it's in this black hole, supposedly. No money heaven. There's big guys in the US that said they go to money heaven when the banks crashed. Somebody's got the key to that, that vault, mind you. It's all a con job. It says Spain's unemployment rate's over 25% and the youth unemployment rate is now 53%. Yet the fools in the Spanish government hike taxes yet again, this time by the largest amount in history. Now, by the book, in economics, that's what they're supposed to do. While well, you're borrowing all this money, you've got to hike taxes until there's not enough folk left to pay the taxes to pay anything back. They want them destitute in this country. Utterly destitute. And it's got another, other goals to fulfill as well. Because you see, this crisis that they brought on, the bankers brought on, by design, big think tanks and everything, worked on this for a long time to get this started and to get it going. To amalgamate the European countries even further Saying, oh, it might happen to us all, you know Well, it wouldn't have happened to any of them They hadn't joined the Union And they wouldn't be borrowing money from the banks To throw any other countries in Europe either So it's all planned this way By the big smart guys you know, The guys who handle cash all the time And, and make, you know, they make trillions Trillions of the idiots down below They've got every scam in the book. But this is to, to amalgamate Europe even further under fear until they're politically totally united. And they'll have one, I mean, they'll do away, they want to do away eventually with all the little parliaments and, and the ex-nations that they have. And have the one super parliament running everything across the whole of Europe. So you can either do it with tanks and guns like the Soviet Union, or you can do it this way. 
through the legalist, you know, uh, system and just keep drafting up documents and treaties and all have to sign it and amalgamate, amalgamate, amalgamate until that's it. And plus it achieves all these goals. There's no culture left. They said there must be a European culture. Well, who's going to create it? What will it be? Docile slaves is what it will be. It doesn't matter what accent they give you all or what you, if they even give you a new language. It doesn't matter. They were trying Esperanto years ago, trying to get a common language for the whole of Europe and the world. From the same sources, of course. But as I say, we were taught to, to grow up and compete and compete. What do you think school's all about? They keep, oh, compete, compete. And all your track events and field and track is compete, compete, winners and losers, winners and losers. You're getting trained for the economic system. You see? And then as I say, once, you, once you've got your country working fairly well, oh, now you've got to compete with all the other countries and sign these treaties so you can compete through trade and all the rest of it. Years and years and years ago, I said that um, it says they'll, they'll amalgamate the whole of Europe. They'll cause the crisis to make them all amalgamate politically, economically, every way they can. And then they'll have them competing with China. And sure enough, you've got all these articles out to, oh, you've got to compete with China now. Well, how can you compete with, with a country that's got the biggest labor base on the planet, cheap labor? from a people who've never known independence, personal independence. In fact, it's never dawned on most of them in China to be even an individual. It's not in their culture. You simply serve the state. It doesn't matter what flag's waving over there. And and you also have the cheapest labor on the planet. They don't need much at all. That's what they're given, a couple of bucks a day at the most. And well, you can't even pay your taxes per day in the West a couple of bucks, never mind, put a roof over your head and, and get your fuel for the winter and all the rest of it and keep yourself going. So even to suggest you've got to compete with them is obviously absurd. It's meant to be absurd, but you're supposed to believe you can do it. And most of will go, like, well, I've got to compete with them. Meanwhile, your own governments, because they're not yours, they not never were yours, by the way, signed the World Trade Organization treaties to make sure that all the plants that gave you all work of these international corporations that were in your country are all moved off into China. But you're still going to compete with China, they tell you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's quite simple logic. Not difficult to comprehend. You've got to see what the real purposes are behind it all. And you better. Now, banks have always been in the business of, of conology. I mean, money itself is a con game. Anybody who's given the power over money is a con artist. Because anyone can understand basic money, basic money. But not these guys, with their compound interests and their hedge funds and all the different things that they do. Uh, they're even, they're even bet- betting in the stock market now on the weather. Because, you see, there, there is weather control. For those who are so dumbed down they really don't believe it or know it. That we've had weather control steadily from 1998, this geoengineering. And the big boys are in on it. And they know who's going to get the drought this year because it'll be caused and who's going to get the flooding this year. And they can tell what the price of the foodstuffs is going to be and they're making a fortune. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and talking about the chronology in the world and lots of chronology going on all over the place of course. And there are big plans for all of us as we, remember the shepherds always make a massive profit even before, even during actually a cull. When they cull off, you know, too much stock, they make a massive profit on everything. Health industry, whatever it happens to be, they'll make a profit off it, massive profit. But here's an article here too. There's so many, you can't keep count of them anymore. Uh, and actually, I think all these stories are coming out now to get you used to the fact that the banks are simply corrupt and accept it. And because people are so domesticated now, they, they'll, they'll go along with, it. oh, well, I guess that's the way things are. The bank where four in ten staff are paid to rip off customers, it says, as his taxpayer-backed Lloyds is facing fine over claims that must missold products. And it says a probe in the bank's incentive scheme uncovered serious feelings at Lloyds, which now faces further investigation and a potential penalty or a slap on the wrist. Right? The investigation by FSA found that 22 banks, building societies and insurers, were giving incentives to staff to missell. They found staff were giving huge bonuses and others were lying and cheating customers for cash. And the new FSA boss, Martin Wheatley, says the culture has to stop within 18 months. Why would you even give them 18 months? Just would they stop it? Would they give you 18 months to stop doing something illegal? Financial institutions have changed their view of consumers from someone to serve to someone to sell to, he said. I don't think they ever had saw you as something to serve. There's another meaning for being serviced, by the way. The staggering extent to which high street bank staff are chasing bonuses and commission are routinely ripping off customers was laid bare in a scathing report yesterday. Same time, the Daily Mail can reveal that 40% of staff at Lloyd's Banking Group earn extra payments if customers are persuaded to buy additional financial products. They get bonuses if they can entice millions of loyal account holders to fork out for costly insurance policies or premium current accounts which charge a monthly fee. And it says separately in a report by the Financial Service Authority regulator. They've been doing this forever as far as I remember. Published yesterday, account holders were said to be viewed only as sales targets exploited by pilots high and sell it quick tactics that verge on the criminal. Well, there's never been anything honest in money. Not by the guys that run it. There really hasn't been. As I say, when banks can, can literally put bets on countries failing, during the banking collapses, some of the big boys had started co- companies up, which they then sold, and then they put bets on that company they just sold failing. All this, you, you can't keep up with the scams that they're up to. You just can't do it. They've got your whole world's food supply up in the stock market in the futures. And see, the big boys at the top know exactly, like Monsanto, they're in it too. They know exactly uh, what countries are going to get flooded and which ones are going to get the drought. Because we've been doing it since 1998 under geoengineering and weather warfare. Oh, I might try and get the link for that why in the world of the spring. And the first one was called What in the World of the Spring? Because it goes through a lot of this stuff too. It's been going on for years now, daily, by the way. And it's all the top geoengineers talking about uh, the effects it would have on the, on the, the public, vegetation, everything. And it's all here. It's all around you. Ask any pharmacist what the biggest changes have been since 98. 
bronchial problems, allergy problems, nasal throats, congestion, antibiotics. Because we're breathing in stuff that kills you. And they knew that before they started. Begin back to this article here. Banks were told to clean up their act or face a major clampdown. Oh, what a threat that is. Oh. It revealed that one firm had been referred to its enforcement financial crime division. Sources named the bank as Lloyd's, which is 41% owned by the taxpayer. Now, isn't that a joke? The government owns it, but they fund it by you. Do you get anything back from Lloyd's? No, you don't. See, your governments are, are simply corporations. They're listed as corporations. You're put down as the guy who, you're the guarantor for every loan they take out. You, you. If you've got a, 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 a bill every month to, and you saw the increases on what you owe your government for all the, the loans they're taking out all over the world. If you got a bill every month, it would, it would sink home into some kind of reality. But they don't give you that, do they? So it's kind of unreal to you. You're still paying it. And so we your great-grandchildren, for those who are not sterile, that, that is. Down the road. This is the real world you're living in. And the article two came out of CNN. It says, census fewer white babies are being born. Well, they don't only get born now. They, they, they abort most of them. That's what the, that's what the white mothers are doing. It says, U.S. minorities now represent more than half of America's population under the age of one. The Census Bureau said, historic demographic milestone with profound political, economic, and social implications. The Bureau defining a minority as anyone who is not single, race, white, and not Hispanic released estimates on Thursday showing that 50.4% of children younger than one were minorities as of July the 1st, 2011, up from 49.5% from the 2000 census taken in April 2010. So, it says the latest statistics, which also count the national population younger than five as 49.7% of minority, minority in 2011, an increase from 49% in 2010, uh, portend a future of more racially diverse America with new and growing populations playing more important roles politically and economically in years to come, analysts say. Then they go into the breakdown of who's coming in and you know, of Asians and so on coming in uh, and really going up from India and China and elsewhere who's taken over gradually. So I'll put this link up tonight as well, for those who care. And another predictive programming thing, we're getting, we're getting it steadily, maybe two, three times a year now as they hype it up. That's how they train you for the inevitable, as they call it, at the top. And you're the cattle at the bottom. And it says that future foods, once again, the same story, what we'll be eating in 20 years' time. Now, I'll preface this memory by saying to you that the United Nations and all the Greenies and every government has said, oh, farming is unsustainable. And then they go into all this nonsense uh, with their mathematics about how much it takes to feed one cow for a year or whatever and how much grass it's going to eat and yada, yada, yada. And how it's unsustainable, so we'll have to find an alternate way of doing it. So they want to feed you insects. Once again, and back to insects again, you see. All ties together, all ties together. It says volatile food prices and a growing population. Actually, the population is not growing. If you look at the United Nations' own figures, they say that the domestic uh, people in their own countries are not, they're actually declining. Immigration is only what keeps it up. Understand how you can, you can alter anything by bending the truth or omission. 
to leave an opinion that you want embedded in someone's brain. But it's not growing. And so, so volatile food price and growing population, we have to rethink what we eat, says food futurologists. So you're food futurologists, right? So what might we be serving up in 20 years' time? It's not immediately obvious what links NASA, the price of meat and brass bands, but all three are playing a part in shaping what we eat in the future and how we'll eat it. Then they go into food we used to eat and so on. We didn't eat this stuff. In Tudor times, split roast dolphin was on the menu. Well, the average peasant wasn't allowed even to get deer meat or he was hung by the Lord. So, no, we didn't get any of that at all. Henry VIII's banquets would include peacock, heron, porpoise and seagull. No, the average peasant didn't get that either, but even to throw away chicken bones. So just lie, 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 you see. So rising food prices, why is that? As I say, because a handful of companies now own the entire world's food uh, uh, agricultural system. That's why. And I'll bet you anything that the, the, the majority shareholders in each company are the same guys. It's really like one big company. I'm not kidding you. Because you see, we used to call them secret societies or societies with secrets. And then we called them clubs. Then we called them monopolies, you see, and cabals. It's the same darn thing, folks. Still here with us, very, very much so. Some of them are very old cabals. And they decided to go after the whole world's food supply, like I said at the beginning of this broadcast. And the water supply, too. So in the UK, meat prices are anticipated to have a huge impact on our diet. Some in the food industry estimate they could double in the next five to seven years, making meat a luxury item. In the West, many of us have grown up with cheap, abundant meat. Well, I certainly never, I certainly never did that. Said f- the food futurology. How do you get a, what has this got, a degree in, in, in a food futurology? Morgan Gay. <laughs> Rising prices mean we're now starting to see their turn off meat as a luxury. Well, that's where they're going to make it for all of you, you see. And they've said it over and over and over again because, you see, they want to dumb down uh, if you don't have enough protein and enzymes and so on, you don't, uh, your brain doesn't mature, remember. You have stunted mental growth as well. That was known in ancient times. The ancient Egyptians knew that because they trained their slaves. That's what they fed their slaves, you know. Even tried different vegetarian diets on them and restricted even them. So there's nothing new under the sun. The same cons go on, and everybody's trying to convince you of how you must behave and what you must eat and all the rest of it, you see. It's all one big plan. Bring it all together. It's all one big plan. Quite simple. Another racket, of course, because you've got a monopoly on the healthcare system, and you've got big pharma in bed with the healthcare boys, and for a lot of them, again, the shareholders and top corporations of pharma also that have the, share, the main shareholders in the hospitals systems as well. But this is true, 80, $83,046 for a three-hour hospital visit. Why are hospital bills so outrageous? The fastest way to go broke in America is to go to the hospital. And that's true. You'll see houses being sold off across the states, estate sales, to pay for hospital bills. Because these days it seems almost like everyone has an outrageous hospital bill story to share. It's getting to the point where most people are deadly afraid to go to the hospital. Well, actually, you should be. 
All the financial progress that have made in recent years can literally be wiped out in just a matter of hours. For example, you're about to read about an Arizona woman that was recently charged $83,046 for a three-hour hospital visit. How in the world is anyone supposed to pay a bill like that? So I've already a hard time understanding why a visit to the doctor should even be more than a couple of hundred bucks, or why a hospital stay should even be more than a couple of thousand dollars. Outrageous hospital bills are a real pet peeve and have not even been able to the hospital in ages, according to the author. What makes all of this even more infuriating is that Medicare, Medicaid and the big insurance companies are often charged less than 10% of what the rest of us are billed for the same procedures. It says there is a, a reason why 41% of all working age Americans are struggling with medical debt right now. It's because our healthcare system has become a giant money-making scam. It's run by the same people who run the banks, by the way. Millions of desperate Americans go into hospital every year, assuming they'll be treated fairly, but in the end they get stuck with an incredibly outrageous bill, and in many cases cruel debt collection techniques are employed against them if they don't pay. By the way, if you have any uh, really severe illness or terminal, something that's classed as terminal, a lot of these guys will actually give you forms at hospitals on how to get your, 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 your parents or your relatives to, to, to remortgage their homes to pay for your bill if you decide to take the treatment. But they do this all in advance. They give you little courses on how to do this. They're such stinking, greedy bar stewards, you see, that have been raking it in incredibly well right up till now. As in considering the fact that over the next 20 years, the number of Americans 65 years or older is projected to double that number, it's going to go even higher. In fact, if the U.S. healthcare system was a nation, it would be the sixth largest economy on the entire planet. It's because it's an awfully greedy system, and it's a monopoly system as well. Monopoly system for big bucks. That's what it's there for. It's not there to help you. It's a business that's meant to rake you to the bitter end, to your last breath, literally. Rake it off you. That's what it is. Nothing else. Forget all the all the propaganda uh, uh, dramas and movies you've watched about doctors and hospitals. That's the big prop. That's nothing but propaganda. Jack Shalom went through all that too. Same with cop shows. They're there for big buckaroos. It doesn't change much, so does it? Because it's true. It's you don't run. You don't live in a free system. If you lived in a free system, there would be competition, different kinds of hospitals even come up, but they wouldn't license you, you see. The big boys don't take any competition. Rockefeller said it himself, his competition is a sin. He was talking on behalf of a particular religion he believes in. You know, competition's a sin. And how everyone too is so screwed up with uh, this internationalism today. $100 billion LNG projects imperiled by African gas rush. They found all this gas in Africa, so they're literally abandoning other places across the world that they've just started to, 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 to drill and, and, and pulling all their cash back. After getting all the cash from the governments to do it, right? Because that's what they always do. Oh, oh we've, changed our, we've changed our minds. We have to go off to Africa now and drill there instead. 
Uh, says a discovery along Africa's east coast, the world's biggest gas finds in a decade threatens to undo investment plans on the other side of the Indian Ocean. Royal Dutch Shell, BG Group of the UK and France's total scale back projects to build liquefied natural gas export plants in Australia and switch to Tanzania and Mozambique, where the new prospects lie and will cost about half as much, according to Jefferies International. As I say, how much do you think the Australia's already given them to start doing it there? Because, see, all these big private corporations get paid those, oh, we can't do it all ourselves. We want to get money from the government to get started, you know. That's corporate welfare. We've been doing this all our lives and, and before we were born. That's how it's always run. So the LNG boom in Australia, where $180 billion of planned investment was set to make gas the country's fastest growing export over the next five years, risk losing strength as labor, as labor and material shortages force up building costs. As energy companies consider the next $100 billion of projects, a switch to East Africa would hold back Australia's market share in China and India, where energy consumption is forecast to raise more than 60% by 2030. See, if you understand you don't have countries anymore, you haven't had them for a long time. If you did, you wouldn't be bothering. You wouldn't even in your head, well, I've got to compete with this other country over there. You'd make sure that the money was taken off, that the rake off the taxpayer was put back into the economy for the taxpayer. Not big business, you see. And you just take care of your own and let the world go where it wants to go. They've got all the countries competing with every other country. And it's disgusting. Competing, competing, competing. And you pay for it all, all of it. East they put a little plant, maybe they brought the Honda plant into, into Ontario. The Canadians and, and Ontarians had to pay for roads to get built into this plant. We, we built the plant pretty well through the taxpayers' money. Uh, all the lighting systems that they get brought in along the, the, the highways they built to go into it. All their, their, their water, electricity, everything. We paid for it all. And they can get up and move when they're finished. And just That's it. Thank you very much. Gone. Private enterprise, who's kidding who? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix and we've got a caller. Let's see if he's still on the line. It's Dave from San Francisco. Are you there, Dave? Oh yeah, how are you, Alan? Uh, good show. You know, I tuned in late. Were you basically talking about LIBOR mostly or, or just even larger picture? The larger picture, yeah. Oh, okay, because I, I don't know if you've been uh, uh, talking specifically about LIBOR, but I've been paying attention to it for a good month or two and, and reading uh, there are a lot of new emails that are coming up that are showing that, that LIBOR uh, basically has been creating these false interest rate uh, data for many decades, uh, yes. it, it was thought that it only went back to 2006, but basically they've probably been doing it since LIBOR was created in, in 1984. And yeah. so the very idea that uh, scoundrels have been setting the interest rate that the other, that the rest of the world must live up to, and yep. so That's this. Right. This whole issue about whether the politicians are courageous enough to uh, to go against the 18 largest banks in the world, uh, whether uh, the Treasury Secretary has remained silent, 
whether the various uh, uh, finance ministers of various nations of the world have remained silent when it was obvious that these interest rates were fraudulent. Uh, you know, it, it really gets into just the obvious proof that that this has been going on and that the baby boom has been looted and uh, many other generations have been looted. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is this is getting together like a big cabal and rigging, rigging the interest rates amongst them. The big corporations do this on every level, even the food supply and stuff like that. They, they rig the prices of things. But definitely with banks, they've been at this, I think, really forever. And, and all these big banks are connected in many other ways as well. But, uh, yeah, it came out with um, the top banks in London, the top banks, the Barclays, etc. cetera. Uh, that's how it sort of blew. The, and even the, the, the top guys in the Bank of England were giving them kind of friendly, very friendly warnings for five years that was becoming so obvious even to the public they better do something about it, which he really meant was keep, find a way to keep it even quieter. <laughs> Well, you know what's interesting? Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, gone into much detail about uh, BCCI. But, yeah. But basically, if I understand right, BCCI was created back in the uh, uh, 70s. And, That's right. And so when Jimmy Carter, uh, every one of the 50 states had different usury laws. I lived in mm-hmm. Missouri where they had 6%. Uh, many uh, states had approximately 7%, but there were a lot of states that had, I think Utah had a 0.7% usury law. And yeah. uh, the veterans of World War II uh, were given interest rates. Uh, if you wanted to buy a house under VA, your interest rate was 1.5%. Uh-huh. And, and uh the the average person who didn't have a VA note were paying around 3%. But the baby boom, yeah, the baby boom came of age in the late 60s and started hitting the workforce, and all of a sudden the interest rates started going up to 5% and 6%. And there was no logical reason why they should have had to pay these higher interest rates. They were very educated. There were a lot of opportunities for the the baby boom, and all of a sudden they were paying higher interest rates rather than lower. So. That's correct. And also, too, that was when the CIA were heavily involved with the BCCI as well, and they were using all this extra cash to to, to move armaments across the world for wars and so on. And that, that all came out as well, too, but you're quite right with that. It was the baby boomers, and again, the me generation, that became the CEOs, and here you are. They, they have no conscience at all in ripping off their fellow Americans or British or anybody else. Yep. Yep. You're quite right with that. But thanks for calling. And from Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>